I'm Dr. Jessica Bennett, and this is Season 3 of the Mindful Literacy Podcast. This podcast is created to build awareness for our nonprofit, Mindful Literacy Columbus. This season, we will hear from guests on topics related to teaching and learning. Many of the conversations are for parents and teachers and focus on the areas of literacy education and special education. However, this season, I will also be turning the mic over to several of my favorite teachers, my students. Adolescence is a tumultuous time, and I have had the honor and the privilege this year of sitting next to some pretty amazing teenagers who are intelligent, open, honest, mature, compassionate, and empathetic. We will listen in as two high school students explore their inner desires with career and college planning expert Aaron Green of In the College Planning Experts. We will also hear from a pretty insightful rising ninth grader who gets open and honest about friendship, family relationships, and growing up with ADHD. The mission of Mindful Literacy Columbus is to provide one-on-one and small group literacy tutoring to children with dyslexia or who are at risk for reading failure. It is our vision to create a center where children can have access to high quality, affordable tutoring no matter what. In our mind's eye, this center would also be a place where adults can study our language together and where parents can find support. Listener support is paramount how much we are able to support kids in our community. Thank you so much for your support. I have an announcement about our first annual Mindful Literacy Columbus Conference, which is happening October 12th, 2021 at Otterbein University in Westerville, Ohio. Virtual seats are also available. I want to give a huge thanks to our sponsor, Midwest Educational Therapist and Associates of Ohio, aka Meta Ohio. So grab your teacher buddies and grab a seat. Executive functioning, practical strategies for maximum growth. Learn strategies for building the big three executive functions in literacy, math, and social emotional development. Literacy sessions will be focused on how to teach kids who have working memory and processing speed challenges, for whom traditional Orton-Gillingham has not fully worked. Structured word inquiry and orthographic linguistics will be discussed in depth. Sessions will be organized into elementary, middle, and upper level strands in a workshop style so that you can walk away with tools, techniques, and deliverables to implement in your teaching practice immediately. The keynote address will be by Julianne Ash, who is a board-certified educational therapist and is the founder of Meta Ohio. Lunch is provided during a parent and professional panel. It's going to be super fun. As I said, this conference is taking place in person at Otterbein University or online. Registration is now open at mindfulliteracypractice.org forward slash conference forward slash. Listeners of this podcast can use code PODCAST10, in all caps, for 10% off early bird or regular registration. I'm really looking forward to seeing you there. If you would like more information about the conference, please send me a message on Facebook or Instagram. You can also email me, Dr. Bennett, at mindfulliteracypractice.org. That's D-R-B-E-N-N-E-T-T at mindfulliteracypractice.org. And our Instagram handle is at mindful.literacy.cbus. And on Facebook, we are mindful.literacy.columbus. Thanks again for your support. And we hope you enjoy this episode of the Mindful Literacy Podcast. Welcome to the Mindful Literacy Podcast. I'm sitting with Raina Weiner, who is the principal at Columbus Tutoring Services and also one of my classmates in my OG uh, training course back um, five years ago, I think it was now. Yeah, it was a while ago. <laughs> Thank you for having awesome. me. Yeah, I'm Good. so glad to be talking with you. I'm really glad that you're still in my life. We've been in touch Um throughout the last five years, but really more intensely in the past few months, now that we're both serving kids outside of school buildings. 
Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, it's been really, it's been a whirlwind between working in a public school and then owning a private tutoring business um, and getting trained in Orton Gillingham and moving forward with all of that tutoring. It's It's been a lot of fun and definitely a learning experience along the way. Yes, and I thank you for for being a good role model and teacher for me along the way in, my, in the past nine months. So grateful for you, for sure. Um, Raina, you have always been one who really was so passionate about literacy instruction. I remember before I even knew you, I remember you were always asking really great, intense questions in our training, you know, our 70 hour coursework that we had um, with the Academy fellow that we shared. And so, of course, it makes such great sense that now you are a fellow in training. So you are training to teach people how to get their basic OG credentials. And that's what yeah. we're going to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the biggest questions I get from teachers is how do I become OG certified? And to me, that whole word certified even is like this, the wrong word to use because it means different things to different accredited programs. And I, we, we were just chatting before we started recording, but even before, even, I didn't even know about all these different accredited programs until I had already been <laughs> credentialed with the Academy of Orton Gillingham practitioners and educators um, at the associate level. Um, I didn't realize there were other programs until I met other tutors and, you know, they would be accredited with Alta or IMSLEC. And, um, and then I was like, you know, they have different, an associate in academy is the same level of training as a certified person with Alta. So that gets very confusing to parents when they're trying to sort out who is qualified um, to teach their kids how to read in a different way than they're getting in the public school system. Yeah, it's a really it's a really confusing kind of world. And I think it, the reason why is because there's been a lot of research done both in the past and more recently with the science of reading, structured literacy, what does all of that mean? And then who who are these governing bodies who are certifying teachers in order to teach? And there are so many different ones out there, and um, I can speak to a couple of them. I don't know the details about every single thing that is out there, but the main thing that I think, if I were a parent with a child who was struggling and I was looking for a tutor or a teacher, is to have experience in a program that includes a practicum. Because, you know, you go through all of this coursework and that's great, but we really get that hands-on experience. You get that supervision um, from a trained professional to really help you and, and give you the feedback that you need in order to become an expert teacher um, using the Orton-Gillingham approach. And there are a lot of people out there who have come up with Orton-Gillingham programs and different curriculum and things like that, um, which is great because being an expert teacher and using the approach is a very difficult thing to do. And so what I think a lot of folks tried to do was create these programs that were just in a box, like here's an OG program and just teach it to your kids and everyone will learn how to read. And there are definitely pros and cons to those programs. And then also um, not using a program, but just being trained in the Orton Gillingham approach. But like I said, finding a program that has a practicum component to it, I think is essential when parents are looking for a, a teacher or a tutor. So um, I can speak a little bit about my training. Um, I, well, you and I met each other um, doing training through the Academy. It used to be the Academy of Orton Gillingham Practitioners and Educators, but they've actually recently changed their name to the Orton Gillingham Academy. And so if anyone is looking online or whatever, the OG Academy is the same thing as the Academy of Practitioners and Educators. And um, not to be confused with another, I think there's another one online called the Orton Gillingham Online Academy or something like that. So it can be really confusing as to what all the, the programs are. Um, but anyway, yes, I did my associate level training um, a bunch of years ago now, which through the academy, 
um, says that you are able to see students one-on-one -on -one or in a small group, but still under the supervision of a fellow in the academy. Um, and then they have a secondary level of certification, which is the certified level, which um, includes more coursework, another practicum, and another application dealing with both students at the basic level, but also a more advanced level student um, with all kinds of difficulties. And that also, like I said, requires some coursework and a practicum. And then the final level, which is what I'm working on now, is fellow in training. So I'm certified already, and now I'm doing a fellow in training program, which is a three-year minimum program with coursework, practicum, but also supervision of me te um, teaching teachers or providing professional development for teachers in teaching Orton-Gillingham as well. And so that's the track that I decided to follow. I think like you, I didn't realize that there were so many other organizations out there or other options. Um, I was just very interested in the Orton-Gillingham approach and decided to take a professional development to renew my teacher's license. And that's when I really just got excited and involved and interested in, oh, what other kinds of trainings are there um, in the Orton-Gillingham approach? And I just kind of stuck with the academy, mostly because it was easy, because um, I had already started with the academy. So I decided just to continue on um, with that track. Awesome. So just to be clear, I want to outline with the associate program, we had a 70 hour coursework Right. Yeah, I believe it's it's there. So there's two options. There's a 60 hour coursework and a 70 hour coursework. Um, the 60 hours really supposed to be focusing on students with one to one, like on one to one tutoring. And then the 70 hour is 60 hours on one to one and then 10 extra hours on teaching small groups or classrooms. OK, so I believe Six. we go ahead. I believe we did the 70 hour. Yeah coursework, but I think since then they've been broken down into two different kind of tracks that you can take to get the associate level. Right. Okay. So we did, I'm pretty sure we did the 70 hour, which for us, we sat in class for eight or nine hours a day for two weeks. Correct. So it's intense on its own, but then we also did a 100 hour supervised practicum. That's correct. takes, you, you know, it takes different people, different amounts of time. So personally, it took me that whole um, process to get my associate paper in my hand took me three years in between having babies <laughs> and um, all sorts of life events coming up. Um, mm -hmm. So I just want to, that's all just to say that I, uh, one of my, one of the myths I think about Orton Gillingham credentialed tutors is that you have to have a certified Orton-Gillingham tutor, and that's not totally correct. What you want is a credentialed person. The person who had the 70 hours and 100 hour practicum is very skilled and at getting, um, especially that K through three, K through four um, bands of learners up to speed and where they need to be. Yes, absolutely. It's a hundred hour practicum um, for no fewer than eight consecutive months. And so it really does take an entire school year um, of practicum, coursework and practicum to get at that associate level or other people longer, which is totally fine as well. But yes, that is definitely a skilled practitioner to work with um, students with dyslexia or other kinds of reading, learning disabilities. Right. So I just want to say, Again, I love the, the tip you gave to parents is what you're asking for is ha did, have you had a practicum? Regardless right. of what that piece of paper is called, what you want to know is, did you have a supervised practicum? Which I think is solid advice. And I think that's what, all, for all of the years I've helped parents kind of parse through these details, is the question they really wanted to know. But they were just using um, an incorrect terminology. <laughs> because yeah. Because then... The Academy does use the term certified at the associate level, just because they do have a more advanced level of training, which is their certified level. So then it would be certified at the certified level, which, you know, can be kind of silly. And it's a mouthful, certainly when you're trying to explain what's the differences between all of these um, different levels and things. And so, as you said before, one other organization might call it certified and the Orton-Gillingham Academy would call it certified at the associate level. Okay, awesome. 
Well, that's good to know how, you know, I kept saying credential and I'm credentialed <laughs> and it's not less than <laughs> my associate right. was almost in some ways, almost longer and harder than it was to get my PhD. <laughs> um, okay. So then certif at the certified level with the academy, is it the same amount of classwork and and practicum hours? Yeah, so it is 100 hours um, additional coursework. So that's plus the 60 that you had at the associate level. So that's 160 hours of coursework. Then there's 200 hours of practicum. And so that's in addition to the 100 hours of associate. So it's 300 hours total of practicum. And that is a minimum of two years. And so what it really is intended for is one-to-one tutoring. It's not really intended for a small group or classroom. It really is one-to-one with 10 observations and two profiles. So you're really being observed teaching two different kinds of students, a basic student or typically a younger student, and then a more advanced older or more advanced students. So learning more of those kind of morphology skills and more complex English language skills as well. So it is, I mean, it's pretty intense to have 300 practicum hours of working one-on-one with a student. And all of that is being supervised and continuous feedback is given um, for improving your teaching with those students as well. And then there's also a reading list um, that is required and an application process to the academy as well. Right. I think that was um, also required for our associate level as well, the reading list are, and the application. Yeah. yeah, there are different readings for associate. There are some additional readings for certified, but the, and the application for associate is on one student and the application for the certified is on two different students than what you did for your associate. Got it. Okay. So now you're in a fellow in training. Tell <laughs> us about that course. It's been... Yeah, it's been pretty intense um, for sure. There's 90 hours of coursework, additional coursework that is um, required. And also the practicum where I am being supervised um, teaching a student. And it is um, they require a, a complex student. So it doesn't need to be older and it doesn't need to be even more advanced, but it needs to be a complex student, someone who has multiple disabilities, maybe dyslexia and ADHD, or someone who has a significant processing disorder or something like that. So we really are digging in deeper to more complex disabilities and how we can use the Orton-Gillingham approach to really serve those students as well, because uh, um, you know, I'm supposed to be a master teacher at, at teaching um, students with dyslexia at this point. So they really want us to dig deeper into kids with more significant disabilities. Um, and then there is basically like a student teaching track. And so my supervisor is observing me leading the professional development courses. And so I'm designing my own curriculum and desi- designing PowerPoint presentations and designing the classes that I will be teaching to the teachers or to the um, students right out of college to then train them in the OG approach as well. And then there's also a, an application for the fellow. There's a video that's due of me teaching um, and a full write-up of the profile of the student as well. So it's a little more intense and it's a three-year minimum program for, for the fellow. So all in, you're, we're looking at six years if you go start to finish back to back. That's right. (laughs) Have you you gone back to back or have you taken a break? No, I I took a break in between. Um, My supervisor had some health issues and uh, we had a very tragic loss of somebody in the academy this year. A very, very well-known practitioner in the academy passed away in February. Her name's Karen Leopold. And she was just an amazing practitioner. And I was working with her um, for a little bit when she passed away. And so I ended up, did I did take a little bit of a break moving on in my in my work. And I actually think that the Academy appreciates um, folks taking a little bit of a break in between levels, levels of certification because it, first of all, it takes them a while to read the applications and approve them and get it through. So you're not really, it's not like eight months for associate and then two years for certified and then three years for fellow back to back to back to back because it takes them a while to read the applications and to approve them and you're required to do some continuing education um, to continue 
that you need proof of um, your own professional development and continuing education. So they do like for you to kind of take your time and really absorb what you're learning before you move too quickly to the next level. Makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I think where I had my biggest uh, learning curve here was realizing there was also other accredited programs as or you call them governing bodies that uh-huh. you could go through. So, and then also meeting other tutors. So I have, you know, uh, a friend who is IMSLEC certified and another friend who is certified with Alta and um Yeah. And so those, I think those are the three biggest ones that I have heard um, people getting certified yeah. with. So one thing I just, I didn't, because I don't really know that much about each of these governing bodies, um, I was just looking up, but IMSLAC is an interesting um, organization because it's the International Multisensory Structured Education Council. And I believe they do not certify individuals. They actually accredit um, members of of other certifications, I believe. So like they accredit training courses who offer training, but you're not actually, they don't actually train individuals. Like you wouldn't do your own training through IMSLEC, I believe. So people who go, so for example, like the people who go through the Dublin Dyslexia Center for training. So that's the IMSE, I believe. Okay. That's the Institute for Multisensory Education. Multisensory education, excuse me, right? There are so many different ones, which is not actually part of this alliance. And for folks who are listening who aren't sure what we're talking about, there recently was an alliance that kind of said these groups are are the best in terms of OG certification. And that includes the Academy, IMSLEC, which you just talked about, ALTA, and Wilson training, and they all, and I believe is the IDA and Siri um, included in that. I believe they are, and that's that's like kind of this alliance. The IMSE, which is the Institute for Multisensory Education, is actually not part of that alliance. They do have a comprehensive tra- comprehensive training, um, and they do offer training, but it would, and I don't know a whole lot about it, so I don't want to misspeak about it. Um, I'm not sure what is involved with the practicum over there and if it's as rigorous or as intense as some of the other training programs are. But I believe, and you should definitely correct me if I'm wrong, that the IMSE is not the same as IMSLEC, the International Multisensory Structured Language Education Council. They are different organizations. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> so. <laughs> Now we can see why parents and teachers are confused. Right, <laughs> don't even exactly. Know what's going on. I think like I think the most dangerous thing is that some of this can be very polarized and politicized in terms of people thinking one program's better than another, um, and saying, "Oh, this is the only this is the only one you should have you should go through." Where it's kind of like, "Well, is it? It's a science, which means like more than one <laughs> governing oh. body can." understand it and teach it and train people. So um, that's where I think it gets a little bit muddied for me is like, are we using evidence-based practice to teach phonemic awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary, and comprehension? If yes, great. (laughs) Is there a practicum involved? If yes, great. Right. Does Does your kid like the person Oh, they do? Okay, great. Go ahead. <laughs> you know? yeah. I, I totally agree with you. It, it's really, it's muddy waters and it's really hard to navigate. And like I said, I would really and just encourage parents to find out where is your training from? You know, was it an hour long class that you took on the overview of Orton Gillingham or was it a rigorous, you know, hours of coursework where you actually had to dive deep into structured literacy, dive deep into the history of dyslexia, into brain science and how it all works and comes together. Like, did somebody have training in that? And then, like I said before, I think the practicum is very powerful. It's like student teaching. You wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to hire a doctor that just read the books about how to perform surgery without ever performing surgery. (laughs) You know, you need a little bit of practice doing it and you need some supervision of someone who knows what they're doing, helping you out along the way. Not that I would ever equate teaching reading the same to doing surgery. Um, 
But I think the theory behind it is a good one that you need some practice doing it um, under supervision before you just go out and do it. Oh, my goodness. Totally. I thought, yeah, I'm over here, like, just busting a gut because I'm thinking like, or like, or watching how to do it on YouTube. Oh, I saw someone how to teach the the sounds of A on YouTube. I can do it too. Um, and it was, and I'm saying that because I was so humbled. I, I remember sitting in those classes going like, oh, okay, this was essentially I, my whole lit review for my dissertation was the theory being taught right now in this Orton Gillingham um, certification course. But where I really learned where like the rubber met the road was when Cindy was in supervising me and it, and I learned the most when she was like, oh, wait, pause, rewind. Do you see where you did that? And I was like, oh, I didn't even know I was doing that. And she's like, yeah. oh, did you see how the kid said this, did this, wiggled there? Oh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> try this. And so I'd go back and I'd try it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Okay, that worked. That was good. It's like getting really intense coaching that when it's just you and the kids, you're not a privy to, really. Yeah. And I have found, especially with the teachers that I'm mentoring now, we go back and we watch the videos of them teaching together so we can watch it and pause and say, okay, here's what you did. And here's uh, how do you think you might want to improve that or something like, and it's, you know, no one likes to watch themselves on video and especially to watch yourself teaching another student, but it is so, um, it is such a good exercise and self-reflection on I did it this way. I could have done it this way to encourage the child to do more of their own thinking. Or one thing I see all the time is that as teachers, we do too too much teaching. And the OG approach really is based on questioning. You want to question the student and get the information out of them. You want them to come up with their go into their brains to come up with the information. So obviously we're going to teach them and it's very explicit and it's very systematic the way that we teach it. But then when it's time to recall that information and retrieve that information, we really want to do it through questioning, not through telling. And uh, when I watch back a video, whether it's of myself teaching or someone else, it is just very easy to see myself or anyone else constantly just teaching or telling the answer are very quick to jump in. And I think it's a really good exercise to hold back and teach the kids how to do retrieval, how, teach the kids how to come up with the information that they already have up there in their brains. Absolutely. I remember Cindy saying to me, one question at a time, more wait time, more wait time. Yeah. <laughs> Give them more time. So yeah, um, that practicum is uh, really important no matter no matter what your experience was before that, I think. Um, and I see like now hearing you talk about the different levels within the academy, you know, moving on to certified, I think that's kind of where I kind of veered and jumped ship. So for to get, I was craving more advanced training. And so I basically sat for the test for Alta to get certified. I will be completely honest, partially to be a smart aleck and be like, see, now I'm a certified <laughs> OG person. And I just sat for a test, <laughs> but it's the same level. Um, uh -huh. But then also because I was taking um, classes with different people in linguistics and it seems like the, the coursework, the formal coursework you got with your certification program is what I was out learning off on my own with Gina and Michelle and all the structured word increase stuff that I've been really into the past couple of years. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that's good. I think that's really good to know. Like there's different ways to get information. Um, and the difference being the practicum piece along each step of the, of the learning journey. It yeah. really, is really the difference. Okay. So let's For shift sure. gears. Here's another question I get, especially uh, from college students who, um, and even, even teachers who've been in the field for 10 plus years are like, okay, I want to get my OG um, training. Where do I go? Who do I call? What do I do? So I want to hear what your advice would be. I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? Of course. So um, teachers who are interested in getting their certification, their credentials and their training, mm -hmm. they often will say, what, what should I, where should I go? Who should I call? What do I do? And so I want to oh, hear what your advice is. I see. Yeah. So I'm biased. Um, you know, I am 
beholden to the Academy of War in Gillingham just because of the experience that I had. And maybe it's just been drilled into my brain that the Academy is the gold standard of where you should go to get your OG training. It was, um, you know, founded by Orton and Gillingham and out of their work came the Academy and a lot of the other governing bodies and organizations have kind of spun off um, of that. And so I am certainly biased to to the Academy. And if somebody were to say, okay, I want to go ahead and do my OG training, I would definitely encourage them to take take the associate class. It is um, a two, as you've already said, it's a 60 hour training. Usually it's two weeks, um, but it do, it is broken up in the areas from like the first week of a 30 hour and then there's a break in between and then you would do the second 30 hour week at a different time during the year. And there are many different um, fellows who offer the associate level training or the associate level coursework all over the country. And it's available on the website. You can just search in your area to find who is doing a training and when it might be. But um, I would definitely encourage somebody to take that coursework because that doesn't lock you in. And just like you said, you know, you don't have to follow the academy track after you take that initial course. And having just taught this course two weeks ago with a colleague, it's just, um, it's an amazing amount of information and nobody can digest all of that information, two weeks worth of information um, all at one time. But there's so much information and it's so interesting, especially if you don't have a background in the OG approach that really can kind of set the stage for all right, now I have all this really great information. I have information about dyslexia and brain science and morphology and comprehension and vocabulary and all those things. Where do I want to go now? And it really gives the student, the learner, a chance to say, well, what do I want to do? Do I want to do the practicum now that I've taken this professional development? Do I want to look into any of these other governing bodies um, and maybe do certification somewhere else? Do I not want to do the practicum? Do I just want to have this information? And that's great. And then I can continue um, you know, integrating it into, into my classroom or integrating it into my teaching without going through the practicum experience. And I think it really just gives that learner a chance to decide what they want to do. There are certainly, like we've already kind of beaten into the ground, there's lots of other courses that you could take. Um, you know, if you're fresh out of college and you say you want to do OG, you can look into the IMSE or into Alta um, or, you know, Wilson. I'm. We didn't talk about this at all, but I'm actually Wilson trained originally. And that's what even got me interested in Norton Gillingham was that um, I went through all the Wilson training years ago, 20 years ago, when I first started teaching. And so there are lots of different ways that you can start off. But my advice, it would be to take that 60-hour associate coursework, see how that sits with you, see what you learn from it, and let that help guide you where you want to go next. I think that's great advice. And I know that you said you're biased, but it was pretty objective, actually. <laughs> um, I just, you know, I, I get worried when I hear uh, when people don't realize they're biased, they're like, you know, Academy is the best. It's the only way to go. Because then down the street, you're hearing, you know, Elta is the best and it's the right. only way to go. <laughs> and you're like, what? Okay. Well, like everything, it's on a continuum. And yeah. You kind of have to have a... Uh, like object objectivity and deciding for yourself and um you said you were did you use the word brainwashed I did actually I was thinking like drink the Kool-Aid but yeah definitely you definitely want to be on the um on the you know we have to teach our kids explicit phonics instruction (laughs) um you want to be on that wagon for sure and I feel like um I only the Orton Gillingham training really make sure that you're doing it correctly because I think there are some there's some bad habits and misinformation that ha- can be passed on from teacher to student that can actually set kids even further back. Yes, and I yeah. the reason why I use brainwash was only that I'm biased towards that the academy is the best just because that's <laughs> where I did my training. So I have to say that that's the best training that there is. But I will also just just to cut excuse me, just to piggyback on what you said, that 
because, you know, OG is so popular these days and you hear these buzzwords about structured literacy and all these things. And it's very easy just to Google something about OG and because you read an article, think that all of a sudden, okay, now you're trained in OG. And that's just not, that's just not the way it works. And so I totally agree with you. You need to be in a recognized program um, with an actual expert who knows what they're doing, um, teaching you along the way. Just because you read an article about OG online does not make you an expert in dyslexia or teaching with the Oregon-Gillingham approach. Yeah. What do you think about... um... Like, so we mentioned there are tons of curricula that are based on Orton-Gillingham. So like, let's talk about tier one in the general ed classroom um, for foundations, for example, that's a, a very popular, well-known, yeah. well-used, well-liked, and it has a lot of great qualities to it. Sure. Um, we had to go through, so if, if you were a first grade teacher, you had to go to the first grade training and I think it was maybe 10 hours or something like that. If you were a second grade teacher, then you go to the second grade training. If you're not, if you're an intervention specialist, you get to pick which one. But again, I think it was, you know, uh, 10 or so hour training. Mm-hmm. And it's enough to really know how to use the book, use the teacher's manual, use the resources and materials. And all of those things are based on um, evidence-based teaching and reading that OG encompasses all of that. <laughs> yes. Um, and I feel like that's really just opening. That's just like unlocking the gate at that point, which is definitely necessary. And it's so great to see the, the legislation and policies changing and swinging toward, yes, this is what all kids need. Um, yeah. But I just wonder at what point in a teacher's career, if they're like, oh yeah, foundations, this, I've seen such a huge difference with my class and my students and my students who were struggling and now they're not struggling, or I want to reach the kids who are still struggling, even though they're getting foundations with fidelity, what do I do next? Like, I just wonder, I think it's important to recognize that just because a curriculum is based on OG, like you said, doesn't mean that you're teaching using OG methodology. Yeah. And I think you come up with a really great point. I mean, Foundations is an awesome program and it's very widely used. And like you said, I think it's fantastic that teachers are going to the training on how to use the Foundations program and implementing it for classroom use. I mean, that is that is fantastic. And like you said, this is the direction that we want to go in. Um, And I think I said this at the very beginning it's really hard to kind of package up a curriculum and say, here, now you're teaching OG because the one of the hallmarks of OG is that it's diagnostic and prescriptive. And so while Foundations is a great, great program and I have really nothing terrible to say about it, it, it it's not diagnostic and prescriptive if all the students are receiving the same program. And you know, you're not actually filling holes or catering to specific needs if you're implementing a program. So for tier one, it's great. And, you know, I could certainly pick apart. There are certain things about the scope and sequence that I don't love, or there's a certain way um, that they encourage tapping in one section that is not my favorite and I have reasons why. But that being said, it's a great way to start and to open up the door to, we need to be teaching this to all of our students. But if a teacher does... Um, get very, you know, get trained and feels comfortable teaching foundations, that's when, and I saw this with some teachers that I was um, doing the associate level for a few weeks ago, that's when they come and say, you know what, this is great. And I've seen the impact that foundations has had on these students. And I want to learn more. I want to learn how can I be prescriptive and diagnostic? How can I learn to do this very direct and explicit way of teaching for the students that aren't getting it, for the students who are falling through the cracks or they need more, um, that kind of thing. And I think it's a really great stepping stone to, okay, I'm, I have this OG-based curriculum. I'm seeing the progress. I'm seeing it working right before my eyes. That's amazing. Let me go ahead and get more additional training to help me really dig in with some of these students that might go on to tier two, tier three um, instruction who need it. Awesome. I love it. I'm writing down notes because I get this. I get the question. I get the question a, a lot. You know, um, OG based curriculum is not 
the same as being OG trained and it's so important for for all educators to understand to understand that understand the implications and the different levels of training that you can go through to further help every single kid Absolutely. And, you know, learning doesn't stop. You know, as teachers, we should want to learn more and more. And that's why professional development is even a thing, because we're once you become an expert teacher, you don't just stop teaching. You know, you have to stay up on the current research and you might want to learn more about how to help these struggling students. And what can I do to further my own education to do that? And as you mentioned, the new legislation coming through is it's fantastic. And I am so excited to see kind of what happens with this law, um, we won't know here for a few months about, I don't know if you want me to speak to yes, this please. law a little bit. We have listeners from all over the world. So <laughs> tell, tell everybody what's going on in Ohio. Yeah. Right now. Okay. So in January, Ohio um, passed a law for screening and providing di- uh, intervention for children with dyslexia. And It's a whole kind of long convoluted thing that is hard to interpret, but the state is developing an Ohio dyslexia committee that will have um, different experts on this committee who are putting together a handbook that will outline what the professional development will be and how the dyslexia screeners will be implemented. And I believe that handbook should be coming out this December. So December 2021, we'll have a much better sense of um, the recommendations and the guidebook coming from this Ohio Dyslexia Committee. But the basis, or I don't know what the word is, but that background for it is that educators must obtain professional development and dyslexia instruction um, staggered depending on what grade they teach. So beginning in 23-24 um, school year, 2023 and 2024, it'll be K-1 and special education teachers. And then beginning in 2024-25, it'll be second and third grade teachers and special education teachers. And then 25-26, it'll be fourth through 12th grade teachers and special education teachers as well. Um, so that's for providing professional development in dyslexia. Um, I believe it's it's somewhere between like six and 20 hours of coursework in dyslexia and structured literacy, multisensory instruction. Um, again, we really have to look to that Ohio Dyslexia Committee to give us the guidebook behind like how that will all kind of play out. And then there will also be student screening. Um, so again, in 22, 23, All students will be screened for dyslexia who are in K through three um, or let me get this right or in four through six whose parent or teacher requests a screening and then 23 24 all students will be screened for dyslexia enrolled in kindergarten or in their grades one through six whose parents request a screening and just to identify each student that is at risk of dyslexia based on the results on the screening. And so they're really looking to do dyslexia screenings now um, for every student, you know, because if we have up to some, some researchers say that up to 20% of our population has dyslexia. I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of people, a lot of students going into school who are struggling with learning how to read. And, and that's just not acceptable um, that we're not, that we're not meeting these people's needs and meeting these students um, where they are and helping them to move forward. And so I think this law is going to be great. Um, I'm really optimistic and excited to hear what the committee puts together in terms of the requirements for the um, professional development. Yeah, that's huge progress, I think, in our field, for sure. Um, I'm hopeful. I'm very hopeful that... um, I'm hopeful that like with any policy, I feel like any, with any policy where, when it doesn't, when it's a good idea and it doesn't work, it's usually in the implementation. Like for example, the third grade reading guarantee. Yes, of course. Why wouldn't we want all of our kids reading by third grade? Oh, wait, there's not enough funding or training for (laughs) our teachers. Okay. Well, it was a good idea (laughs) anyway. um, So I'm hoping that with this policy, we keep pushing forward as a community and find a way and find the funding to get the professional development to our educators and parents. Yeah, I and I totally agree with you. I mean, one 
one um, obstacle that I foresee is that there just are not enough teacher trainers out there. Like there are not enough experts in the area to provide the training for the teachers who need this professional development. And as you know, it's expensive and it takes a lot of time to be trained. And we're not, I don't think the state is going to pay for every teacher in the, in the state to take a 60 hour, you know, intensive OG instruction class. And so it will, we will have to kind of cut here and there. And I really do hope that the state puts some money forward in order to train these teachers appropriately. Um, what I was going to say before is I saw a quote on the IDA website that said, children with dyslexia are in nearly every classroom, but effective reading instruction is not. And that's pretty much what it comes down to. Up to 15 to 20% of the population have symptoms of dyslexia, but we don't have effective reading instruction in the classroom. Yeah, and I've, I've found like, well, the longer I go on practicing um, kids with kids who have dyslexia, the more kids with dyslexia who find me. And I am beginning more and more older students who just are finding out. Um, yeah. And I think it's very empowering for kids to find out as early as they possibly can, because even five and six-year-olds know that something is awry when they're watching all their friends read and spell, and they're still like, basically like, you know, swimming around going, what's going on? Um, And so if they could, if you, if, you know, I, my friend, uh, my friend and I say, you gotta name it to tame it. If you could just if they could say, I have dyslexia. Oh, okay. Well, that's why I need to figure out a different way to get at, to have my brain learn this information. It's yeah. not me. It's not me. It's, it's exactly. methodology. And absolutely. And, you know, people with language-based disabilities or differences have all different kinds of um, other abilities and gifts in other areas. And so, it really is nothing to be embarrassed about. And it's so important to say, like, I learn differently. I just need to learn in a different way. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think as teachers, we need to be very understanding and say, oh, yeah, if you didn't learn it the first way I taught it to you, then maybe I should be teaching it to you in a different way. And I think that's really important. And just going back to what you said about identifying it early, I mean, what happens so many times is that kiddos rely on kiddos who are struggling, I should say, rely on memorization techniques in order to kind of skate by. And it turns out that you can memorize pretty well up until about third grade. And then in third grade, you can't memorize anymore. It's, you know, then you really do need to decode because there's no more space in your brain to memorize all those words. There's just too many words and our brains aren't developed um, that way and they're not wired that way for all that memorization. And so I think a lot of kids do kind of um, sneak between the cracks between first and third grade because they're good memorizers and they're good at compensating in other ways that it's not caught. And I think it's really important to have these screeners to say, oh, wait a minute, this is a sign of dyslexia or, you know, there's something else is going on here that you're memorizing so many words and you're not actually taking the time to decode or um, things like that. And we see that when it comes out in their spelling, certainly. Absolutely. That's where, yeah. that's what got me going on to structured word inquiry in my linguistics yeah. classes was this <laughs> disconnect. Like, wait, you can read and you can read fluently and you understand what you're reading, but what the heck does that say that you just wrote? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So great. This was, uh, I think really enlightening for our listeners. Um, again, we get this, I get this question all the time, both from a parent perspective and from teachers and what great timing for you. It looks like, um, how, how can teachers reach you if they want to book you for a training in 2023 or maybe even before then? Thank you. Well, this is, again, this is just so nice. And thank you so much um, for having me. It's so nice. My website is columbustutoringservices.com, based in Columbus, Ohio, um, more specifically Bexley. But um, certainly feel free to go to my website, shoot me an email or send a message through my website. I'm happy to talk about it. I'm very excited to be offering trainings. Um, My supervisor, Cindy Schultz, is running many trainings um, next year and the year after. And hopefully when I'm finished with my fellow work through the academy, I'll be teaching my own trainings on my own 
um, through Columbus Tutoring Services and hopefully partnering um, with Mindful Literacy as well. And I'm just really excited about these new opportunities that are out there and, you know, to make a difference in teachers' lives, to really help them impact students is really what, um, what I'm looking to do. And so I'm very excited about it. And certainly anyone should feel free to um, shoot me an email or give me a phone call. I'm happy to chat, whether it's about a student or a teacher or whatever. I love the mission, Raina. I yeah. am so excited for you and for our teachers in Ohio and for our kids. In my mind, Mindful Literacy Columbus has a center up and running and you come in and you are doing trainings for teachers and those teachers are then doing their practicum with our Mindful Literacy Columbus scholars. And I think it's just so exciting to have you as a partner. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Thank you. Okay, thanks so much for your time. Take care. Before we wrap things up, have you checked out our bookstore for Beehive Press? Beehive Press is an imprint of Mindful Literacy Columbus, and it publishes books by kids for kids. Book sale proceeds go toward our scholarship fund. We have nearly a dozen graphic novels and chapter books available. Check out our bookstore at mindfulliteracypractice.org forward slash bookstore forward slash. Thank you for listening to the Mindful Literacy Podcast. May you be inspired and energized and share this love with those in your care. We are so grateful to have you as part of our community. If you are enjoying the content in this podcast, please share with your friends and colleagues, subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Please also take a moment to connect with us on Facebook, mindful.literacy.columbus, and on Instagram at mindful.literacy.cbus. We want to hear from you. What topics do you want us to cover next? Who is doing amazing things in the field of education that we should be talking to in season four? Until next time, may you be happy, healthy, and at peace.